welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Howdy. Howdy, everyone. It's another Knock On Podcast. That's right, two days in a row. Uh, I thought yesterday's podcast was pretty awesome. I enjoyed talking about camouflage. That was something that I've always really wanted to talk about. I was fortunate to be able to um, to talk to the lieutenant colonel on that. That was a cool podcast. If you haven't listened to it, go back one and listen to it. So this is podcast 203, I believe. And we're in Thanksgiving week, 2018. Uh, It's November 21st today, which I've had success on this day as a bow hunter. It's one of those times a year uh, where you can get, you can be down in the dumps and mentally exhausted if you've been hunting hard. A couple things to talk about on that subject because I do want to make sure all of you out there who haven't tagged out yet, keep your head up and stay positive. This is a good week. This is the week where you can shoot a buck that you have no idea um, where he came from. A lot of bucks will start covering ground and just going in zombie mode and just walking and venturing into new area, uh, areas and making mistakes. I posted a video today of a buck that I shot several years back and it was the only deer that I shot that year here in Iowa. I was 40 days in to sitting in a tree stand. I was mentally exhausted. It was a real crummy day and I was so close to not going that morning. Sharon almost had me talked into just taking one day to rest Um, It was on a Sunday, and she's like, just stay in. You know, let's go to a movie. Let's do something. And I actually remembered that my decoy was still out there um, laying under my stand. And I saw in the the weather that there was rain coming in in about an hour, and I knew I needed to go get my decoy covered up. Um, So... I ended up going and I ended up seeing the one buck that I had got a picture of all the way back in the summertime that I really, really wanted to see. And the buck just completely disappeared, had no more pictures of him throughout the whole season, never saw him on the hoof, never heard a neighbor talk about him, nothing. He was literally just gone. And then lo and behold, at the Sunday after Thanksgiving, here he all of a sudden just appears following a doe, limping along, looked like he had been in a battle for weeks, and I was able to grunt at him, get his attention, took twice grunting at him, I finally got his attention, and he turned around and came over to check me out, and I was able to make uh, a really good shot, so B... Be positive right now. I know it's hard, and this is a reason, too, why it 
in some ways relates to my philosophy when I competed. Um, the same is true for, for my hunting. There's, we're in this time frame right now where everyone's for far enough in. If you've been hunting Iowa and if you started opening weekend and you've been at it hard, you know, you're 50, 60, 70 days in and mentally this is an exhausting time. It's the same thing like with target archery when I would prepare for a major event. Anytime I would start prepping too soon, I would be just mentally burned out when I got to that event. So learning how to space that out and kind of picking and choosing your training times and finding your window to where you can still be sharp and where you can still have your best opportunity um, that's pretty critical. So for example, this year, because I didn't have, um, anything really good on camera on the main places that I hunt, I just didn't see anything too exciting, um, on camera. So I ended up just hunting other places all the way until, I knew Iowa would be the absolute best. So I went out one day in uh, late October. I went out one day. It was a kind of a nasty day, just wind and so forth. I used that as kind of cover sound to check my areas. I went out. I, I checked some stands all the way around, made sure stands were all good. I also... Uh, pulled cards that had been out there for a few months, put new camera cards in my, my trail cams and fresh batteries and kind of got out of there and then came home and looked at what the cameras told me. There wasn't anything that stood out as being a high percentage opportunity. So um, I went ahead and went down to Oklahoma and started hunting down there just because I was trying to mentally save myself I wasn't hunting really hard um until really until I think it was October 31st I kind of made the decision I'm going to kick it in gear other than that I was just kind of dabbling a few hours in the morning a few hours in the evening I kind of pulled a few hours in the middle of the day one time just for fun um but I waited until the time was right and then started pulling my 13-hour sits. I think if you're going out every single time from early to late and you don't really know what's, you know, if you don't really know it's a good time, then you do run the risk of burning yourself out mentally. And I know you can't get one if you're not there. So it's a it's a double-edged sword, but at the same time, just don't have full investment mentally when you're there during the times where you know it's really not your highest opportunity. Just go there to have fun. Um, and if you you know if you're not seeing nothing, if you're totally bored out of your gourd, you know don't be afraid to don't be afraid to to head back if you keep pushing yourself every single time when the time's not right, you know, you're just, 
you're really buying a very low, low percentage lottery ticket. So if I'm going to, if I'm going to be doubling down, I'm going to be doubling down when the time is right or when the moon is right. Um, so right now is a good time for that. This is the time, this is the week where here in the Midwest, you're more likely to see a cruiser, um, a buck that is just not from your area. And, that's kind of what I need right now, and and in a way, what I have going on right now, I've got a buck that I've kind of just nicknamed the the tree smasher. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, um, I think it was about two weeks ago, I, this 30-inch tree on on uh, it was actually right on the edge of my property in a in public ground. This 30-inch tree, um, and I shouldn't say my property; it's it's a property I have permit. I've have permission to hunt on, um, but there's this 30-inch tree just destroyed, um, and then now the trees, random massive trees, just continue to show up, absolutely hammered, and sh- and just raked to beat the band. There's so much, there's so much like tree mulch underneath these things. I kind of made a joke and said, if anyone wants wants mulch for their garden i'm selling it at a dollar a bag because this dude is is doing some damage so he's the one that i've got my sights on right now and i i would venture to guess he's not a local buck i think he's probably um a buck that's kind of moved in from somewhere else where maybe someone was hunting him wrong and put pressure on him um to where he wasn't comfortable and he got out of there the other thing too that could happen is you know we had here in Iowa it was it, we've had so much rain that it was really hard for combines to get a lot of the corn out so the corn's still coming out in some areas it's just finishing up so sometimes when they clear those fields they can push out some bucks that have been in hiding in those in those fields um so he could have came from something like that as well hard to say but He's a, I think he's a beast, although I've seen eight points make rubs like that. And I've seen massive deer make rubs like that. It's it's hard to say. Um, but I think this is one of those weeks where if you're mentally exhausted and if you're burned out, just push through, keep grinding. It can happen, believe me. Um, there's only a few weeks left here in Iowa till the gun season kicks open. So just keep putting in the time these next few days. Like I said, right now is the 21st. Last night and tonight are my favorite evenings uh, just based on the moon. It's a good time to be on food. A lot of does have been bred. They're going to be fi- going back to the food sources. Um, they're not going to be afraid to show up on a food source in the open if they've already been bred. And uh, some bucks are going to, if they're not locked down, there's going to be some bucks cruising through there too. Um, I don't think they'll really start eating yet, but they probably will here in about a week. They're going to still kind of just be in that seek mode. This is a time of year where I actually have done good with um, decoys as well. They will um, They will do they will come to a decoy right now because they're they're trying to find that last doe, no question. Um, 
but yesterday I had, I made the post about, um, the podcast that I had and I had, um, someone make a comment that they were kind of felt like there was just too much Sitka podcast related, uh, or Sitka related podcast coming out. So, you know, I replied and let them know, um, that right now I'm talking about what I'm interested about and what I'm personally learning about. And so that is something I'm learning about and it's something I'm excited about. So, um, I'm not going to really make it, make excuses for that. I'm not getting any pressure from Sitka whatsoever to do a podcast at all. Not even the very first one. Um, this has been something that I've wanted to do and things that I'm learning on right now. So I thought there'd be some people out there that would want to kind of follow along with me on that. Um, but I also did reach out to that person and said, um, okay, if you don't want to hear about that, give me a subject that you want to hear about. So here it is. Um, I'd like to hear about transitioning from deer season to target archery. Um, form, practice, maybe tips for this, for those of us who use one bow and arrow setup for everything. Um, so, no problem. This is a perfect time of year to talk about this. And a perfect time of year for me, too. I'm getting my head around uh, getting ready for indoor season. This is one of the most important times of year for me is, you know, well, it's normally, you know, starts off about this weekend. Normally Thanksgiving weekend, it's a long weekend. I'm normally home with the family, you know, we'll hang out. People, you know, get the, take a few turkey naps. Um, we'll get a Christmas tree up. We'll kind of, you know, maybe do some shopping, watch a movie. And I'll normally start kind of blowing the dust off my target bows and getting ready for indoor season. Now, I do remember the days where I shot the same bow for everything. Um, and during those years, I would normally, depending on um, how much I was shooting... I would normally reduce the poundage on my bow and I say that because as a target archer um, one of the things that I it took me a while to learn but that I did learn was that it's just nice for reps and for you know steadiness and accuracy to reduce your poundage some because the heavier you're, the more weight you're pulling, the more the quicker you're going to burn out. The more holding weight you have at full draw continually for the course of several indoor rounds, you'll start to burn out and fatigue. Um, and I just feel like I've been way more accurate as an archer shooting in lower poundages. And the poundage range for me is anywhere from the mid 50s to lower 60s. Uh, depending on the cam. So if you're a target archer or if you're a Hoyt archer, um, if I'm shooting like a spiral cam type system, I've been shooting the mid to upper 50s for poundage. Whereas um, if I shot a different type of cam system, I would shoot a little bit higher. 
Now, last year, I shot quite a bit with a Pro Force, which what I liked about it was the cam cycle and the cam feel was very, very similar, or it was almost identical to my hunting bow. Now, several years ago, I did use my same hunting bow. I used a Defiant, the aluminum Defiant. I used that for hunting, and I it was the Defiant 34. I used it for hunting, and I used it for my target archery. I used it for both. So what I did was I went from my heavier limbs down to a lighter limb, and uh, the next thing I did was I change my sight apparatus. So I'll go from having a multiple pin sight, which I'm a big multiple pin sight uh, person. I like having at least four pins, sometimes five, for my hunting situations. I don't like to have to move my sight um, as things are happening. It's just impossible to do when I'm trying, most of the time I'm trying to self-film, trying to follow an animal with a video camera. Last thing I need to do is be ranging and moving my sight continually. It just doesn't work. Pause everyone for a knocked and loaded coffee sip. Nailed it. Um, so I'll change my sight apparatus and I'll go to a single pin sight for uh, target archery. And my sight apparatuses, they'll vary depending on what it is I'm doing. Usually um, what I like about my Sherlock sights in the past was I, I was always able to remove the head that had multiple pins and then put on a head that was a single pin scope to where if I used um, a glass magnification lens, I could put a, I use a small black dot that's the exact size of the Vegas, the Big Ten, which is about the size of a quarter. So at 18 meters, my black dot is the same size as a quarter is on the target. Um, and it's black and then I'll take hobby paint and a small little sewing needle and I'll dip the sewing needle in the hobby paint and I'll drop a dot of white right in the center of that black dot. And um, that's always worked really, really good for me because uh, it has very good contrast on yellow. I've personally, my eyes don't do the best when they're trying to focus on a, a glowing red or green fiber optic when they're on a yellow, red, blue face. Um, so I've always done better with just the black. And the reason I have the white dot in there is because if you have um, lighting coming from behind you and you had a, only a black dot, a lot of times it'll wash out that black dot. So um, the light behind you will actually illuminate the white ball Whereas if you have uh, lighting more in front of you, it will, you won't see the white, but you'll see the black very solidly. So um, it's a kind of a really cool thing that works in a multiple, works in multiple lighting situations. Um, otherwise, if you like fiber optic pins, then I would just recommend going to a single pin fiber optic. Um, now, 
the last thing in relation to your site is one of the things that I'll do as well is I'll reduce my peep diameter. So the smaller your peep site, the more accurate or the tighter your groups are going to be naturally simply because your rear sight aligns with the front sight, correct? And typically what I'm always asking students to do is make a perfect eclipse with the front sight, rear sight. So the bigger that hole, the easier it is to be off with, you know, with that movement. And your small little pin that's inside of that huge circle that you're looking through, uh, you have a lot more room for that to be off-center and not really know it. So the smaller your peep diameter and the tighter that hole, the more likely you are, or technically you're just being forced to center that pin perfectly within that circle. Uh, just because the circle's smaller, if by chance you're off left or right or up or down, you're just not going to see your pin through that scope or through that peep sight. So I go to a smaller peep, and because I've gone to a smaller peep, this is, everyone, this is where the um, extension bar on a site can come into factor. Because I'm going to a smaller peep, I still want to make a perfect eclipse with my peep and my front sight. So I'll extend my front sight out a little bit um, so that I can still, essentially what you're doing by extending it out further is you make it appear, you make the scope housing appear smaller because it's further away from you you know if you grab if you grab a pop can and put it right up close to your eye it looks massive um, you know looking at the end of it but if you extend it all the way out with your arm obviously it looks smaller so you know I extend my sight out a little bit more so that I can still have a perfect eclipse with my sight my front sight to match the now smaller rear sight um, from there, you can also make the option um, of using a little bit longer stabilizer. I personally um, have had years where I have shot longer stabilizers, and I've also had years where I just shot 12-inch stabilizers all the way through. Um, it really depends. So when I went and I shot the Total Archery Challenge, I didn't, you know, even though I technically had my, my hunting bow, I didn't feel like I needed to shoot a longer stabilizer out there. I stayed uh, with, the, with the smaller stabilizer. Some people will go to a longer stabilizer. Um, indoors, I'll usually, for my actual target bows, I'll usually shoot um, a 32 and a half inch front rod and a 10 inch back rod that, after it's connected, totals out at 12 inches. Um, so I'll have a 12-inch side rod and a 32-and-a-half-inch front rod um, that once I mount it, it kind of, I think it finishes out somewhere closer to 33 to 34 inches in front of the bow. So, um, and then from there, when it comes to arrows, I'll make a decision on what I want to do for arrows. 
Um, I think having a, for indoor anyway, I really like having a slow, heavy, steady arrow um, for my indoor shooting. If I ever have used my, like my hunting type bows for indoor shooting, I typically switch over to like a full metal jacket um, because for a couple reasons. One, full metal jackets pull easier out of targets, so it's kind of nice to um, to just not have the wear and tear on your shoulder pulling your arrows out constantly, especially if you know you, if you're shooting out, which I did for years and years. I'd shoot out in our horse barn where it was cold. You know, in between every set, my hands were my hands were in my mittens and stuff. So it's um, it's nice for an aluminum arrow. It pulls out of targets way easier than a carbon because the carbon heats up from the friction and it'll actually melt that carbon um, or melt the foam, I mean, onto the carbon, which is what makes it so hard to pull. Um, and depending on the arrow that you go with or the fletching that you go with, you may or may not decide to change your arrow rest. One of the nice things about the knock-on elevate arrow rest is that you have the ability to remove the whale tail and the limb-driven system and put on a launcher blade system. So I've had years where I've used the launcher blade and I've also had years where I do not. Well, last year I shot with um, a four-fletch on my aluminum arrow, and because I shot the four-fletch, I stayed with a limb-driven system just because you don't have to worry about clearance. Um, one of the things that people struggle with in target archery is it, they try to shoot what's called a lizard tongue, which is, you know, it, it essentially looks like a lizard's tongue. Um, where it has a V cut into it, and it's a piece of spring steel. It comes, you get several sizes with the knock-on elevate rest, um, but people like to shoot those because they're so repeatable, they're so simple, they travel well, um, they're just, they're super accurate. I mean, 100%. They're, they're really, really repeatable, really accurate. I shot launchers on my target bows. I would say 95% of uh, my competition life. However, now I would probably um, I would probably put a lot more time into that decision nowadays because, like I said last year, I shot a fallaway rest and really liked it um, for my indoor setup. It was it was just so consistent, and uh, I had a setup that just shot really, really well. I'll typically go to a longer fletching configuration. Um, sometimes, well, right now I'm shooting a four-fletch, and funny enough, this year, what I hunted with was almost like this conversation that we're having now. It was almost the opposite. Um what I used for my target archery setup, I actually rolled into my hunting setup. So I shot a four fletch, three inch max stealth vein 
um, for my hunting setup this year. So if I was making a changeover, I wouldn't change over my fletchings. However, if I was shooting um, some of the types of veins that I've shot in the past, which is a slightly smaller fletch configuration, just based off, you know, if I shot a mechanical broadhead, I may not need, you know, I may not have used a lot of fletching. Whereas this year, I actually shot a magnitude of broadheads. Um, I knew that I was wanted to shoot that Rage Extreme. I knew I wanted to shoot a tripan mostly. I also wanted to try the Wacom four blade, which I've shot a couple deer with those. I also wanted to shoot the um, the Muzzy Trocars as well. And then there were several uh, broadhead companies that sent me some broadheads just to test. So I wanted an arrow that gave me a lot of diversity for steering. And that's why I went with the four, the four fletch this past year. And I really, really, really like it. Um, I'm probably going to move that same thing into my target archery, if I'm honest. Um, at least for my mid to close range target archery. So I would venture to say if I shot 3D now, I would probably put some serious time into some four fletch configurations. Um, and even if I had to shoot 50 meter stuff, I would probably consider that as well. For indoor, it's a no brainer. I used to shoot four inch feathers for the longest time with my indoor setups just because you're trying to get that arrow to spin as fast as it can to stabilize at and since you're only shooting 18 meters for you know indoor archery or 20 yards you're trying to get the spin to to be so fast that the arrow stabilizing very quick to where it's just pinpoint accurate at a close distance um, if you don't have fletching that's really taking control sometimes you can have an arrow that's that is very accurate at longer range but is just a little bit less accurate at a tight range um, just because the arrow hasn't fully stabilized yet so I want something that stabilizes fast um, for indoor target archery which is why I shoot or in the past you know I shot a four inch feather like I think the best indoor round I had ever shot when I was with the team was with a four inch feather. Uh, however, I think now I could probably get that same result with a four fletch of the three inch vein. I just never tried it then because I was, the reason I shot the feather was because I was kind of falling under the mindset of everybody else that's one thing that gets tough is everybody's like following cue of what you should be shooting so I had a launcher blade and even though I had my doubts about whether or not I wanted to shoot a launcher blade um, I still did shoot one and because I had a four inch feather there was the ability to have some contact on your launcher blade sometimes if you did have a little bit of torque either string torque or hand torque so i shot a feather just because it would have a little bit more give if the feather did contact that blade it would just lay back and it had very good um, forgiveness whereas if you're shooting a limb driven fall away system you really don't have to worry about that at all now i personally prefer 
the limb driven setup versus putting it into your cable because I don't like having extra pressure on the cable. It does affect timing. So if your cable to your rest does stretch at all, you know, you do start to slowly change kind of the pressure that's being pulled on your power cable too. So it can affect your cam timing as well. So that's why I really like the limb driven system. It just seems way more repeatable. Um, but other than that, that's it for the bow setup. You know, reduce the peep, extend the sight, change the sight aperture, make your choice on your stabilization, uh, decide on your on maybe an arrow swap, which you're probably going to need an arrow swap anyway because you reduce the poundage, and you know go from there. Now the next thing that's important as well, and one of the things that I'm like most into as a target archer is what you're doing with your release and really focusing on using indoor season to ingrain in proper shooting techniques again. Because my honest opinion is I really start to lose my sharpness as a shooter the further and further I get into hunting season I'm the reality is I'm I'm in the stand in the dark I'm out in the dark um very very unlikely to um very unlikely to to get in the um the range during my downtime as a hunter like it's probably not going to happen. Rarely happens. So I'm not shooting a lot. Um, I'm drawing back with a lot more clothes as we go um, through the season. And I'm drawing back a lot less. So I'm just losing finesse. I'm losing technique. So as I move into target archery time and indoor shooting, I think it's a, a critical time. Um, I actually should have an article out this next edition of Peterson's Bow Hunting, talking about things that you can do for um, you know for preparation for the next year essentially. And one of those things was joining a league to shoot indoors because as much as I hated shooting indoors, and believe me, I hated it with a passion, I couldn't stand shooting paper, and it was even more monotonous to shoot paper at 20 yards all the time. But I've come to appreciate it, and I've come to understand what it actually does for me as a hunter. And because of that, I'm into it. So um, one of the things I do is I'll change over from my trigger release to I like to go to a hinge release and that's why um, the too smooth was so important to me was because the too smooth or a hinge release it teaches a different facet of shot routine and shot sequence and shot feel so essentially we have three releases in the knock-on release uh kind of series which by the way i've been asked this a lot yes noctuits will be here in time for christmas and yes silverbacks will be here in time for christmas too both of them are literally being colored uh i think they're supposed to be going in the dip tanks either tomorrow or on friday 
Um, so then they just got to get sent back to Carter to be assembled. And then they'll get sent to us. So, you know, you've kind of got a, a couple weeks lag right there. And then they're gonna we're going to be launching right before Christmas. So make sure you have signed up on the website. Go uh, go to where the product is on the website, knockonarchery.com, and uh, when you click on it, it'll show item is out of stock, but there's also a little box that you can enter in your email address to be notified. You put it in there. As soon as you, um, as soon as we load anything back in stock, like even if we only put 50 back in stock, you're gonna get a, you're gonna get one email saying. You know, that item's back in stock, and you're going to have to react. So be prepared for that and recognize that, yes, Silverbacks and Noctuits will be here before Christmas. So be ready for that. But um, Two Smooths, luckily, are in stock right now. Um, and the Two Smooth, what I like about that, and I am going to be doing some um, once I start shooting indoors and I start shooting in the range, I will be doing some live feeds and I'll be doing some YouTube videos talking about this and showing you all this stuff. Because as I move indoors, I don't move indoors and just start shooting 300s right away. Um, it takes me a little while to work out some bugs um, that kind of creep in during hunting season. And the one thing that I like about each of these releases going back to where I was trying to talk about um, is each release offers you something different and I cycle through those releases at different times of the year so what is important about a hinge is a hinge teaches patience and it teaches you to be able to trust your pin being on the target and stiller for longer periods of time as you're more or less maintaining pressure, manipulating the release until it fires. So you're going to be a little bit more steady with it. I would say you're going to you're going to be as steady with that as you would with a knock to it. However, the difference is because there's not a button on it, you're going to learn to trust that steadiness for a longer period of time than what your brain is probably going to allow for if you have the trigger. So you're going to learn to to build pressure. You're going to learn to 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 be dynamic, but you're going to learn to be dynamic with much less movement and you're going to be really working towards being comfortable being in the middle for a longer period of time waiting for that release to fire. Whereas with the knock to it, a lot of people over the course of time, as um, you know, their thumb starts to get itchy, they'll only be patient there for so much time before they, they want to make it happen. Now, with the silverback, a lot of times once I move outdoors, um, I'll move to a silverback because it teaches dynamics and it teaches dynamic pull. So what you're going to learn from the silverback is you're going to learn 
to continually pull, but also you're going to learn another facet of what's happening with the front pin. And that facet is that the front pin can have movement and it still will go in the middle as long as the rear half is functioning dynamically. So what happens is if you cycle through these releases and you learn to train trust, you learn to train dynamics, and then at the end you can bring them together with a knock to it, and you can just learn trust with dynamics, and then you're going to have a super, super crisp, clean break on a thumb release. Um, I had this conversation yesterday with my buddy John Barklow. Um, he's been, he, we were talking about one of his friends that has a silverback. And he was kind of saying, you know, well, you know, I feel like I'm moving all around. He goes, oh, yeah, you're, you know, you're going to see some movement in the front half, like as you're learning it. And he told the guy, too, he said, you know, if you're not willing to take it out of the package and commit three months to it, if you're not willing to do that, then you're kind of defeating the purpose. He's like, you have to commit to it. And once you do, you're off and rolling. Now, um, I think Barclow's been using silverbacks exclusively for a few years now. And I think every single, every single thing he shot a few dozen animals, um, you know, from across the globe have all been with silverbacks and that's just what he wants, to, you know, that's what he really likes to hunt with. And he likes his, you know, where his mind's at when he's hunting with one. And he said, well, I was thinking about a, you know, a hinge release and should I shoot the two smooth? Like what would be my, what would be my reasoning for doing it? And so I had this same conversation with him. I said, listen, man, I do it because it teaches different things you know, you shoot a hinge release, you all, you know, you're a little bit more steady. Um, you're, you know, yeah, you have a little bit more hand manipulation. I personally shoot it by relaxing my index finger slightly. Some people move the hand. Um, but either way, you're built, you're having to learn to hold pressure, enough pressure on the back wall to where you're not creeping. So you're, you have pressure there and you're almost maintaining pressure. You can slightly build pressure as you, at least for me, I slightly build pressure as I relax my index finger and let the, let the, the release essentially pivot in my hand until it fires. So I feel that movement. I feel the movement of the release kind of moving. You know, it's almost like if you, grab um a you know if you grab a a, a pull-up bar well let's just do that if you jump up and grab a pull-up bar and you're hanging there for a while till you're you know till you're almost just give out and you know the bar is slipping away from your fingers you can feel it you know your fingers are just elongating 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 all of a sudden boom you're just, you know you you fall off that's kind of what it feels like with a hinge release. You can feel the movement of the hinge. So you know that you're getting closer and closer to the shot firing. But ideally, you don't know when that's going to happen. You just know it is going to happen. And you know that if you aren't moving, then it's not going to happen. 
but if you are moving, it is going to happen. And, I, and that movement I'm referring to is in the release hand, not in the front, the front uh, bow hand. And so what you can do is you really start to be able to be super steady in the front and learn to manipulate that release to where it's giving you the surprise shot without having to pull so hard against the, the back wall. Now, the problem with that is you can also get a little bit lazy in your dynamics on the back wall. You can be start becoming an aimer. You know, I do that in kind of air quotes, an aimer more than um, a dynamic shooter. And I personally, do, I'm not a fan of aiming. So uh, I like doing it during certain points of the year, but I also think that if you then transition into making some shots with the with the silverback you're also going to realize oh man okay yeah my pin seems steadier and i'm cool with that and i'm just going through this motion and and the steadiness is is better than it was before and now i'm getting my shots to go off um so these are all things that that i do uh with my students i a lot of times i'll make them start out their warm-ups with a silverback just so that they're pulling hard and pulling through. I'll get them to do that and then I'll have them switch right over to a hinge to where then they, you know, their muscles know what they're wanting to do from a dynamic range point of view, but then they're starting to, to, to stabilize and learn to trust again. Um, that's something that's really really hard for people to do but something that's absolutely critical to learn to do because if you trust that your pin can be there and nothing bad is going to happen that's the basis of target panic is that there's an anxiety that it has to happen now while it's in the middle um otherwise something you know i don't know what but it just seems like the brain just thinks something bad's going to happen if if it doesn't go right now um, this is kind of a whole new thing. It's like just being in there and be like, oh, okay, yeah, I can, I'm moving around a little bit. I'm cool. It's moving around some. I can trust it doing this. Yeah, I can trust it doing this. Yep, it's doing it a little bit longer. I can trust that. And then obviously if you go too far, you realize, you know, oh, that was a crap shot. I was too trusting. So let me step up the kind of the the dynamics of pulling through this you know commit a little sooner commit a little quicker but still have that trust and that steadiness so there you go that's uh hunting slash target archery changeover 101 and also uh the release philosophy from hinge tension trigger these are the things kind of the concepts that i focus on what i think is important um so if you've tagged out lucky you start working on that changeover uh, might be kind of cool to do a little video on a changeover haven't thought about that but it might be something i need to do one of the very first articles i ever wrote was actually on this subject funny enough it was uh it was for archery focus magazine for denise parker she's like hey how does a 3d shooter change over their bow to a hunting setup so i pretty much did what we just did
and I think a lot of people realize there's so much similarities, but they'll also start to become a better bow hunter because they get a little bit involved with target archery. So have a good one out there, friends. Make sure you stay safe. Make sure you use your safety belt. And uh, hey, there's a big Black Friday sale going on right now at the Knock on Archery store. So jump in on that. It's a free release trainer, at least right now, with a too smooth uh, release. So that's good. That's what you can learn on. Learn to use the hinge on that safely. So that's a cool package. And we're doing some uh, free arrow wraps with arrows. Obviously, if you listen to this podcast after Cyber Monday 2018, you're screwed. But otherwise, jump on there. A lot of, a lot of big uh, closeout sales um, on some some sweatshirts and t-shirts and hats and all that stuff. And again, this podcast is brought to you by you guys. So, um, it's kind of like the knock on store is kind of my tip jar. Um, it's actually not mine, it's Sharon's, but it's, uh, it's the tip jar. So if you feel like you're learning stuff and it has value to you, then buy some swag and you support me and I'm able to keep doing this. So otherwise, yeah, definitely would not be able to, uh, spend a few hours on days doing podcasts or days doing videos. There's no way it would happen for me. So thanks everybody. Appreciate the heck out of you. And I wish you luck. If you haven't filled your tag yet, I'm with you. I'm going to get the tree smasher. You wait. See you everybody. Knock on. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com